Well, good morning. My name is Chet. I'm one of the pastors here. If you'll grab a Bible and go to Philippians chapter 2. We are working our way through the book of Philippians. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And we're working our way through it. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 today. This past week, uh, I have two sons. They were, we were getting ready for school, and they were watching the Bee Movie, which, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's about bees. Um, so it's aptly titled. And the bees in the movie are graduating from high school, and they talk about how grueling their one day of high school was, which is a comment on the short lifespan of bees. And then they are traveling around the hive, and they're being pitched all the jobs that they can take as a bee. They're graduating from high school, and now they're going to pick a bee job. And one of the things that's said by the person that's showing them all the jobs is they say, pick carefully, because whatever you choose, you will do all the time until you die. From now on, till you die, this is how bees work. You're going to do this, and you're going to die. And all the bees go, yay, except for the main character bee who suddenly has a crisis. And it's like, that's a big choice. And I was thinking about it. And the reality is there are a lot of times where we make big choices and we're like all the other bees, where we just kind of, yay, we just don't even think about it. We just make a choice. There's been decisions that you've made in your life that have actually altered the course of your life, that have affected how you've lived and how you've worked. They've affected your day-to-day for a long period of time, and you just kind of made the decision. But there are other times when we pause, when we really consider, hold on a second, this one's big, and I need to really be thoughtful here. The text we're going to look at today We're going to be faced with an inescapable reality. You're actually, uh, a lot of times we try to read ourselves into the Bible wrongly, but today you're in here. We're actually going to get a glimpse at the future in this text today. And as we look at it, we're going to see an inescapable reality. And what I'm going to suggest is that we actually today, that you actually today don't just go, yay, and move on, but that you pause and consider the reality of this text and you make a, a decision that you mentally weigh and consider and choose something good this morning. That's, that's my hope. So go to Philippians 2. Verse 5, we're going to read this whole section, uh, and we're going to walk through it here. But here's what happens. I want you to see the beginning of this. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's the command in this text. Have this mind among yourselves. Now, if you were here last week, that's what we spent our time on, the command that Paul is making in this text, where he's going to tell them to be humble to be uh, gracious, to, be, to count others as more important than themselves. That's what we talked about last week, and we'd be wrong to read through Philippians and miss that. But also, the way he does that is really interesting, because he's going to point to this massive theological truth about Jesus in the midst of telling us to be humble, which is how the Bible works, by the way. If you're reading your Bible as primarily a book about you, what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to be, what God wants from you, you are reading your Bible incorrectly. The Bible is primarily a book about Jesus. 
what he has done, who he is, how good he is, and then the things that are applied to us and the things that you are supposed to do, because the Bible does give you some commands, are based off of who he is and what he's done and how good he is. It's primarily a book about Jesus, so that even when Paul is giving instructions and he says, you need to do this, he's going to say, because of what Jesus has already done. We don't lead, we respond. But what he does is really interesting. He pulls out this massively beautiful theological truth about Jesus, just trying to tell us to be humble. It'd be like if you were struggling with something and one of your friends came over and they said, hey, I just want you to know you got this. Like, I think you're tough. I think you're strong. And then they reached into their pocket and they said, strong like this. And they pull out a fist-sized diamond. Strong like this diamond. This is how tough you are. And then they put it back in their pocket. No, 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 no. <laughs> You'd be like, wait, 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 wait. I'm not even thinking about my problems anymore. Is that a real diamond? <laughs> How did you get that? Like I watched a movie about it. I'm pretty sure it involved murder. How did you get a diamond that big? Why are you carrying that around with you? I have so many questions. That's what Paul does in the middle of this. He says, you need to be humble. You need to think this way. Here's a massive fist-sized glorious diamond about Jesus, this huge theological point. Okay, so be humble. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. I want to see the diamond again. And so that's what we're doing this morning. All right. This is what it says. We're going we're gonna to read it all, and then we're going to walk through it slowly. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, so this is Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." It's as if Paul was like, you need to be humble. You know who was humble? Jesus. And as soon as he wrote Jesus, he was just like, Whoa. he just goes off. It's like a hymn of praise, this just delight in how glorious Jesus is. And so we're going to look at that section this morning. So Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, that's verse six, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay. Now, does that mean... He was in the form of God, meaning he somehow looked like God or represented God, that he was like God, but not really God. And there are those who will read that text this way. Mormons read it that way. Jehovah's Witnesses read it that way. You might have someone say that's what that means, that this is what he's saying. He was like God, but not really God, almost like Adam. So Adam was made in the image and likeness of God. He was in some way representative of God. He was some way like God, but he wasn't God. So we've got to look at the context to see, does it mean he was like God but not God? Or does this mean to say that Jesus was fully, in essence, by his very nature, the God of the universe? It's important that we figure that out. So let's take a second and look at the text. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay? 
That doesn't really answer the question for us. Because a thing to be grasped could mean like Adam, not in the, like God, but not God, reaching up, trying to become equal to God. So it's something he's striving for. Or it could mean that he actually is in the form of God, but he's not going to cling to it. He's not going to hold on to it. But verse 7 answers the question. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Okay. So, if he was like Adam, who was like God, but not God, and wasn't trying to reach up, then verse 7 makes no sense. What did he empty himself of? How did he take on the form of a servant and be born in the likeness of men? How was that somehow an emptying? How was that humility? How, what did he, that doesn't make any sense. It would just say, he didn't reach up there, he stayed where he was. But it doesn't say that. It says he emptied himself and took on the likeness of men, meaning that. Jesus Christ was in very essence and nature prior to his existence as a human was God. The humility of Christ that is displayed in this reality is beyond anything we can imagine. That he was in very nature God, but did not count equality with God a thing to hold on to. Like, we like watching the show Undercover Boss because it's fun to see, see a CEO have to clean. And that doesn't even remotely compare to Jesus being fully God, taking on human form. And he was fully God. This isn't just the only place that this is taught. This isn't the only place that this shows up. I'm going to read you a couple of places. It says this in Colossians 2.9. For in him, that's Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. How much of the deity? The whole fullness of it. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus existing at the beginning, the creation of the world. And then it says, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. When you're like, I wonder how God would treat me. I wonder how God thinks of me. I wonder how God relates to me. You get to look at Jesus. He's the fullness of deity dwelling bodily. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And it's not just something that was written about him afterwards. Jesus also understood this about himself. John 17, 5. This is Jesus speaking. He's praying and he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The preexistent, eternal God, Christ, in all of his glorious wonder, humbles himself empties himself to take on the form of a servant. Now, he becomes a human without ceasing to be God. And you're like, well, how does he do that? I don't know. It just says that he does. It's a glorious mystery that he is 100% God and 100% man, that he takes on the form of a human. But he doesn't just pretend to take it on. He really does. 
And in some ways, he limits his exercise of his glorious divinity in great humility. The creator of the universe who upholds the world by the word of his power. Do you know how humiliating and small it is that he needs to sleep? In Luke 2, it says that he grew in wisdom and stature. He had to figure things out while he was human. He, he limited himself. The, the creator of the universe should have never felt cold or hot or tired or itchy. The one being that should have never had to go through middle school. The beauty of the incarnation and the humility of Christ, just to be a human, should warm our hearts to how good he is. But it says this, verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself. So even further, as a human, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he humbles himself. He doesn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He empties himself. He takes on human form and then he humbles himself to be obedient. Now this obedience to the Father, it shows up in two, two ways. One, it shows up in his life that he has a perfect record of obedience. That he does not sin. Jesus lives perfectly in relationship with God and with, with humans. And he's obedient to the point of death, meaning that the plan was always for Jesus to die. The plan was always for him to come and to rescue. That's the plan. Why? If someone's going to say to you, well, I think Jesus was just a really nice, humble guy. First of all, he's more humble than they think because he wasn't just a guy. He was God who took on flesh. So the amount of humility that they've given him is just is pitiful to the amount of humility that he actually shows. And then if they say, but if you say, okay, well, what, what's Christianity about? And maybe you would answer this this way. What's Christianity about? It's about us, you know, learning how to be good. Like if I become a Christian, I'll turn into like a nice lady, a nice fella. I'll do what I'm supposed to. That's what it's about. It's about learning the rules. If that's what it's about, then why does Jesus, why is the focus on this obedience to death, why is this focus on the cross? What's the cross for? If he was just here to coach us up on how to be good, then he shouldn't have died when he was 33. He should have stayed and kept coaching. No, the point is the cross because he was coming to be a sacrifice in our place for our sin. That's the point. The point is, we can't, by being good or by being moral, rescue ourselves. But Jesus can, because he's fully God, he's actually able to atone for the sins of humanity. But because he's fully human, he's able to swap places with us and actually pay our debt. This is the cost of sin, which the Bible says, you're a sinner. That we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all rebelled. We're all guilty. Right now in Kid City, take a second and just think, just, just be quiet for just a second. 
Well, y'all aren't being quiet. You gotta be quiet. That's the sound of 50 children being in another room. Right now in Kid City, there are 50 children that we have volunteers that are serving, loving, pointing to Jesus, uh, trying to articulate the gospel to them. But at times, your sweet little precious angels are violent. And there's, there's possibility for there to be a conversation that goes something like this. Hey, come here, come here, come here. Stop. No, calm down. You can't, you can't use the scissors like that. They're for cutting paper, not for stabbing our neighbor. <laughs> and if the kid responded with, wait, 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 wait. I memorized my Bible verse. You do say, well, that's good. It's irrelevant to the stabbing that just took place. <laughs> and what we want to do as adults you say, wait, 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 wait. I've done this, God. I did this. I served. I did this. I was nice. I did this. If there was a doctor who was an excellent doctor, but also a serial killer, and, and his defense was, I've saved more lives than I've taken, he goes to jail <laughs> because that's not the question. The question is, are you guilty? And y'all, we're guilty. We've made the world worse. One of the best ways I can see this in myself is that when I'm trying to be good, I still can't do it. And I have hurt the people I love the most, the most. It's not like I'm just hurtful to strangers. No, 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 no. The closer you get to me, the more you're going to get some of this. Isn't that crazy? And we're sinners. And we've harmed God's good creation. And praise be to Jesus that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because he came as a sacrifice. That even death on a cross is to point out that the cross is gruesome and horrific. It wasn't even to be used on Roman citizens unless they had committed treason. It was for the worst capital crimes. It was for those who didn't really belong. He was stripped and beaten and crucified so that we might be welcomed in. That's the gospel. That there was a debt that had to be paid. Now, periodically, people will say things like, well, couldn't he have just forgiven us? If we're in God's system, I'll listen to you so far, preacher man. We're in God's system. He created the world. I'm tracking. Okay. Nothing didn't create the world. God created the world. I'll follow you that far. I get that I've done things that are messed up. All right? I'll, I'll track with that. I can definitely tell that other people have. I'm willing to admit I have some too. Why can't he just forgive us? Well, one is because he's gloriously good, and he can't just act like sin's not a big deal. Because he actually loves people. He loves the people you've hurt. He loves you. He loves the harm you've done to yourself. He can't just act like it's not a big deal. Two is that sin is real and it actually causes problems. It actually does real damage. I have a, I have a six-year-old now, but he was five when this happened. He was playing with toys. And this wasn't malicious, but, you know, a lot of children, their spatial awareness is poor. This is why they will just walk, like, right into people. 
I'm constantly having to be like, get out, the, you don't see. It's like, <laughs> they, can, they can basically keep up with what's like a foot around them. So he was playing with, with like larger, like superhero toys. And sometimes the good guys just got to get the bad guy out of there. So he just slung this toy into our television. Yeah. 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 Wasn't malicious, although, you know, kids do malicious things. This one just happened to not be malicious. But the, the TV's broken. Okay? Real damage has been done. Now, can I just say I forgive you? Sure. But somebody's paying for the TV. Somehow. Now, we can pay for the TV by not having a TV. But there's no way that the cost isn't incurred. We could be one of those families that I guess what, like reads or talks to each other? I don't know. <laughs> there's real debt. I could put him in six-year-old hard labor to try to return, pay back the thing. I can, I can do something to try to get it out of him, or I can pay for it and buy a new one, but somebody's got to pay for the debt. And when we say, well, couldn't he just forgive? Y'all, he did forgive, but he did it at a great cost to himself. That does not lower his glory, it exalts it. It does not make Jesus less wonderful, it makes him more wonderful. That if you would look and go, why can't he just forgive? You don't even understand the length to which he came to humble himself so that he might forgive, so that you might be welcomed. Look at this Christ and oh, meet how wonderfully humble and glorious he is that he comes to you and says, I'm willing to forgive even if I have to pull it out of my own skin. Now that's Jesus. And would you come to him in his humility? Would you see him in his glory? And would you understand that you have sin, but he's willing to pay for it? How good is he? Oh, how glorious is Jesus. So some of you will say, well, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I believe there is a God, but what's he doing? Why are things like this? What's he doing with me? Why has my life worked out like this? Y'all, this is what God has done. He's come to us in our brokenness in our pain, in our shame, and he's taken it on himself. Have you been betrayed? He's been betrayed. Have you been hurt? He's been hurt. Have you had to taste the, the bitterness of death? He tasted the bitterness of death so that they might not win, so that sin might not conquer, so that he would not have to destroy all of us in our rebellion, but that he might be able to welcome us in forgiveness. Don't run from that, run to that. So it says this, we're going to go to verse 9. Therefore, meaning because he was obedient to the point of death, because he was humble and gracious and wonderful and good and he came to rescue us, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There is no way to God outside of Jesus. Jesus says that nobody comes to the Father except through him. Acts 4, when they're proclaiming this, it says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He has the name above every name. He is exalted so that there is no other name that you can be saved under, not yours, not someone else. It's Christ and Christ alone that can pay for sin. 
Acts 5, 30, 31 says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Y'all, that's the hope of the work of Christ, that you would repent. Repent means that you would see your own sin and you would take it to Jesus and say, I need forgiveness. And y'all, he's to give repentance and forgiveness. Do you know that's what Christians proclaim? Not we're good. No, no, we proclaim he's good. We're forgiven. Our debt has been paid because of the work of Jesus. Do you see how humble he is? Do you see how good he is? Don't harden your heart to that. Don't run from that. Run to that. Run to him. So verse 9, and then we'll read verse 10. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's all about Jesus. Verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has been exalted to the centerpiece of all existence. Now, I told you that we'd get to see the future. Well, that's the future. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You say every knee? Every tongue? Well, all the ones that are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So in the place of the living, in the place of the dead, and in the place of all spiritual creation, yes. Every knee, every tongue. Will all bow. Now you may want to ask, does that mean that all will believe? Is that what's being taught here? Well, it's a, it's a quote from Isaiah 45. So we're going to read five verses from Isaiah 45. They'll be on the screen. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Now that's hopeful because he's saying, assemble, come to me. And he's, who's he calling? The people who are rebelling against him. They're worshiping other gods. He says, you're praying to a God that can't save. Have, do y'all feel that? You ever labored for a God that can't save you? You ever wanted something so bad and you finally got it? Did it fix you? He's saying, come. Verse 21, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Oh, hear that invitation this morning. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Who is welcome to Jesus? Everybody. What if I've done this? Come on. 
What if I've run? What if I've hurt? What if I've, what if I've hated him? What if I've rebelled against him? What if I've fought against him? What if I've harmed every person I've ever been in my life? What if I hate myself? Come, all the ends of the earth, come. Jesus Christ has come to rescue you. So come. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. Meaning, he's not, he's not taking it back. He's, he's declared it, it's going to happen. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Everyone's invited. And he says, but I'm making you a promise. Everyone's going to bow and everyone's going to confess. And he says this in verse 24. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me are righteousness and strength. So only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. So if you think, well, I'm probably good enough. No, it's only in the Lord. Well, maybe I'm strong enough. No, it's only in the Lord. If you want to be good enough, if you want to be rescued, if you want to be saved, if you want to be welcomed, if you want to be forgiven, you need the Lord. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. There's our answer. All will bow, all will confess, but some of them will bow in shame because they hate the Lord. All those who are incensed against him, all those who have fought against him, all of those who've hardened their heart and stood proud in front of him and said, I won't bow, I don't need you, I don't want you, I won't serve you, I'm going to serve myself, I'm going to serve this, I'm going to serve something else. He says, you're going to bow and you're going to confess, even if you hate me. But then it says, the offspring of Israel, those who are welcomed into the family, that's what that means. And we're told in the New Testament, that's by faith in Jesus, shall be justified, meaning made right, meaning forgiven, meaning given righteousness, and shall glory. Everybody bows, everybody confesses, but some of them, their hearts are bursting with joy. And some of them have been brought to their knees in shame. Every tongue confesses, every knee bows. Every king that's ever sat a throne, every monarch that's ever held a scepter, every tyrant that's ever ruled and, and taken out tens of thousands of people, every person who's ever raised their eyes in rage against the heavens, every person that's ever walked to the face of the earth, your parents and their parents and their parents and their parents and your children and their children and their children's children. Every single person in this room, me and you, will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is, will we do it with joy or will that be the day we finally are broken by the glory of the God of the universe? All will bow, but not all will believe. All will confess, but not all will love Christ. All will surrender, but not all will be saved. The invitation that makes it to you today is that you would come to him in humility, in his humility. Because that's the Jesus that's in front of you. You are offered humility. But there's going to be a day when you meet him in glory. And time will be up. There's going to be a day when you bow and confess. Let it be what you've longed for 
Let it be what you've hoped for. Let it be what you've strived for, that you wanted to see the glory of Christ because you'd only gotten a glimpse and a taste of it here, but he had redeemed your soul and taken you to forgiveness and welcomed you to his family. And the day that he comes in his glory, we fall before him and we say, Jesus Christ is Lord. The same as we sung this morning, that we would say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But everyone will. There's an invitation to surrender now, to bow now. Don't harden your heart. Don't put it off. Don't say, I will at some point, but I've got some other things I want to do first. Don't say, yeah, I know that's kind of true, but I'm not ready yet. Don't harden yourself against this. Come to him in his humility because there is a time when time's up. And all will proclaim the glory of Christ. those who know him and those who don't. It'll be to the glory of God the Father. Christy's going to come back up and play. The invitation in front of us is to stop and consider. To truly see how humble and good and loving and kind and merciful and gracious the God of the universe is that he would come to you and be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The invitation this morning is that you would see him in his humility and that you would surrender in humility. That you would see your own sin and that you would bring it to him because he's the one who offers repentance and forgiveness. I want that day to be a delight because your rescue has finally come. Not the day that you have to finally bend in shame because you've rebelled all your days. So take a moment. Ask the Lord to help you see your sin. If you want to trust in Jesus, you can. We're going to do something that we don't usually do. I want everybody to close their eyes and begin to pray. If you're a type of person who prays, I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the work of the Spirit that we would have our hearts opened today. And some of you have never fallen on your knees before the Lord. And I would invite you today because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'd invite you to actually slip out of your chair, get on your knees and say, Jesus, you're Lord. I'd invite you to actually move your body and confirm what is going on in your heart that he can redeem and that he can save and that he can forgive and that there's nothing too big for him. And if you will, where you are, just slide out, get on your knees and say, Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord and I need him to save me. Come while he's available. Come to him while he comes to you in humility and rescue. Don't run from him, but run to him. Lord, may we live our days in surrender to your mercy. May we live our days before your glorious goodness. 
and we thank you for your humility. And we pray, Lord, that if there's somebody in this room who is right now wrestling with you and trying to keep their legs straight, crying, trying to keep their back stiff, we pray that through the power of your spirit, you would break through that they might know you, that they might taste the sweet surrender and forgiveness and hope that's found in Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. During this next song, as we go to sing, Matt will be standing over here by this door. I'm going to stand over here. If you need to speak to somebody, if you want to ask questions about what it means to follow Jesus, we welcome that. Pray as long as you want, and then we'll sing together.